people, and, uh, and many have uh, uh, failed at so doing. And there, as I said to you last week, there have been so much, there's been so much ink spilled on some statements that we're, we're discussing right now that it's hard to communicate just how, uh, how much variance there is among well-meaning Orthodox believers. So it is tough sledding, but uh, primarily, if you can keep in the back of your minds, the primary issue that Paul has in his, in his mind as he writes at least this section is to communicate uh, our union with Christ, that we are by faith joined in union, that one of the terms that he uses in verse 4 is that we were baptized into Christ. He uses another word in verse 5, united um, together in the likeness of his death. That's, that's his concern at this point, to communicate and teach this which is perhaps the most glorious of all of the dimensions of the gospel. That as a result of regeneration, as a result of the Holy Spirit's work in us, we have ended up in union with Christ. That I am buried with Christ, I am resurrected with Christ, I am in union with Christ and thus all of His benefits... The way that he view, the way that God the Father views His Son, is the way that He views me, because I am in union with Christ. Now, of course, His teaching that truth was precipitated by the foolish notion that uh, one could understand grace in such a way that would lead them to conclude that they could live any old blasted way they wanted to. That's the way verse 1 opens. That is, uh, Paul is addressing this section to a, a group of objectors who say, Oh, I understand what you're saying, Paul, and I understand the gospel very clearly. And uh, my understanding of this gospel is that since uh, we are all saved by grace and not by works, then we can uh, sin as much as we like. Now, in reply to such a foolish notion, he gives us this long treatise on our union with Christ. How could anyone in union with Christ have such a foolish notion as mentioned in verse 1? Now, let me see if I can clean up some of the mess that I created last week. Go back with me to verse 6, and let's see if we can't cover verses 6 and 7 tonight. Let me begin reading in verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now guys, what I said last week is that verses 6 and 7 is a commentary on the first half of verse 5. If you'll notice at verse 5, uh, it, the issue has to do with we are united in the likeness of his death. Well, then in verses 6 and 7, what he is doing is uh, amplifying that, that statement that he's made in uh, verse 5a. We talked about the knowing word last week, but let me show you. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. You'll notice how similar that is to the first half of verse 5. We are united together in the likeness of his death. 
Our old man was crucified with him. Now, we are crucified with Christ, and there are two main results that are listed in verse 5, 6. Here they are. Number one, the results of being crucified with Christ, number one, is that the body of sin might be done away with. And number two, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Now, let me discuss both of those. That is, the, the um, um, results of being crucified with Christ, two are mentioned. I'm going to take them out of order. Uh, I, that is, I'm going to discuss them with you out of order because it's easier for me. Uh, that is, I understand it better when I do it like this. And so I hope it will be more understandable to you. So look at the, the second result. We're going to look at that first. That is, uh, one of the results of being crucified with Christ is that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Okay? That's one of the results of being crucified with Christ that you and I would not be slaves of sin. Now notice that he does not suggest that we are delivered from acts, A-C-T-S, of sin. He does not suggest that we are delivered from acts of sin, but we are delivered from slavery to sin. Um, gang, um, that is one of those uh, insights that you might leap over, but you better be glad that he says that. If he had said we are delivered from all acts of sin, what would that mean about us? That would mean that we're pretty much not delivered because I'm uh, not delivered from acts. But I am delivered from a dominion, a slavery to sin. That slavery to sin, like all other slaveries, is only broken by one's union with Christ. Guys, we could spend a lot of time just talking about that. I'm not going to, but listen to that again. All slaveries are only broken, are only, are only successfully dealt with through union with Christ. There's a lot of slaveries out there, a lot of uh, slaveries with a little s, but we are delivered from the slavery with a big s, all, the, slavery to sin, but they're all broken uh, only in union with Christ. But that also means that those outside of Christ are still in slavery. Um, think about those you know who are, um, who are not Christians. They are still enslaved to their sin. I am a new person in Christ because I am crucified with Christ, ladies and gentlemen. But sin... Um, still influences me. I am delivered from the slavery of sin, but I am not delivered from occasions, acts of sin. The best way I know how to illustrate this is an illustration that I've used before in, in, in another way. But um, many of you know, many of you are old enough to know what D-Day was. Some of you are not old enough to remember or know what D-Day was. D-Day was a day uh, in 1944, June the 6th, 1944, when Allied forces gathered and launched an attack on the beaches of Normandy. And as a result of establishing a beachhead at Normandy, the Second World War was essentially won. 
once um, forces had landed on the coast of France, they began their push back towards Berlin, and Hitler was beaten. In fact, uh, it was known uh, to German generals that the war had been lost, and it was after D-Day that an attempt on Hitler's life was made. And of course, all those people were hung. But, but be that as it may, uh, even though in principle the war had been won, there were numerous battles that remained to be fought. And that there was more loss of life after D-Day than there was before D-Day. But the point is, the war was won, but battles remained. That's what I think you can say about this last portion of verse 6. I am delivered from the slavery of sin. The war is won. But sin, I, I, I am, I'm new in, uh, in that respect, but sin still influences me. It's still, there, is, there are still battles that I wage um, and, until I'm delivered completely from uh, this flesh. Now, that's what I think is one of the results of being crucified with Christ. The other one now, I think I'm in a better position to explain. Um, the other result mentioned is that the body of sin may be done away with. Um, guys, the body, uh, um, the physical body still has some wonderful appetites uh, that nothing about them are wrong. The appetite for a, uh, a healthy meal is a wonderful uh, part of human existence. But when uh, I get a hold of something, particularly a buffet, uh, I tend to take advantage and overdo and take that appetite and use it wrongly. Well, guys, um, um, the, the, my identity with the crucifixion of Christ um, is that which um, provides for me a, a, uh, a principle within that I can conquer appetites that have gone awry. Uh, the flesh is subdued. The old nature that still remains in my body is, is uh, subdued. But it's done so in an ongoing way. Just like I said, uh, just like in the illustration with D-Day. There is a victory that I have. All of those slaveries that I used to entangle me because of appetites gone wild. Um, I am to be delivered. And I do have victory over those, but they are, it is unfolding over a process of um, an ongoing process. So those are the results of being crucified with Christ. Look with me now at verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Well, uh, I, I, I moved too hastily. Let me go back because there's a couple more things I want to say. Just in terms of trying to ex explain further. My old self is crucified with Christ and is thus gone. It died with Christ. That self that was in Adam and an utter slave to sin, that is gone, ladies and gentlemen. I am a new man. And I am suggesting to you the moment that we realize that as believers, 
that the old man that I was in Adam is crucified, thus gone. The moment I realize that, I am in a better position to deal with the old nature that remains in my body. That is, my mortal flesh. Uh, look at chapter 7, verse 17. That's just a, a, a statement that I think helps. But now, 717, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin, dwell, but sin that dwells in me. Yes, gang. There is a deliverance from the slavery, but there is a sin that remains in my mortal flesh. And the way that I combat that, the first step is to realize that the old self that I was in Adam is dead. And so now I'm in a better position to do battle with the remnants, the vestiges, the detritus of sin that remains. Um, so it should change my outlook about the battle in front of me, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the battle that I, I wage against my own flesh. The outlook that I have is, the, is, is influenced by realizing that I am crucified with Christ. One other thing that I, I would draw to your attention. Because I am crucified with Christ, sin can no longer bring any charge against me. And those of you who deal with, um, with unnecessary guilt need to understand that this insight that, that Paul mentions here will put you in a better position to deal with the guilt that plagues you. Because the old self that I was in slavery to sin has been crucified to, with, with Christ, that can no longer bring a charge with, against me. It is dead. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but I lived the first 22 years of my life as a wild, screaming pagan. Anybody else here? Um, do any of you have anything in that wild, screaming, pagan past that troubles you? An abortion, perhaps? Um, an illegitimate pregnancy? If those things plague you in terms of um, your own wrestling around with the guilt associated with those events, then drink deeply from this idea that Paul states in verse 6 that our old man, that old self in Adam that was such a slave to sin, was crucified with him. And that which is dead can bring no charges against me. I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, that that verse 6 should help us in, um, in dealing with um, not only the, the, the battle that's in front of us presently, but it should also help us deal with that which is behind us. Um, verse 7, for he who has died has been freed from sin. He has been freed from the reign, the slavery, the tyranny of sin. Um, that, is, that is gone. And I am new in that regard. Now again, there are battles to be waged. 
because as this 717 said, which I thought was an interesting, it is sin that is still present within my mortal flesh. Guys, um, here is a major piece of understanding that I hope I can, oh my goodness, that I hope that, I, that you can leave with. The way that sanctification is wrought is not the way that I think that so many of you have been taught. You come to know Christ, and therefore you come to know Christ, and now you are taught that there are certain things that you need to do to make yourself more, uh, ex- uh, more holy, you know, a better person. That is not the strategy of, the, of, of Pauline epistles. What you find Paul doing is rooting and basing our sanctification in the knowledge of our justification. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a a key insight. Not a keen one. But it's a key insight. Our, the lives that we live as Christians called sanctification. The basis of our sanctification is rooted in our justification. My point, what he would do as a pastor, if he was calling you to a higher level of uh, Christ-like living, here's what he would do. He would remind you of your union with Christ. Do you know that you are in union with Christ? Therefore, we live a certain way. But never... Okay, um, uh, isolating the sanctification process from the great provisions that are contained in justification by faith. Let me say it another way. Gang, Christianity is the... Uh, well, no, no um, let, let me say it in, in terms of all of the other religions. Uh, all of them say performance leads to a verdict. Perform, perform, perform. And then at the end, there will be a verdict of, come on in, uh, you've done well. Christianity says, there is first the verdict, then the performance. The performance is rooted in the verdict, not the verdict. Rooted in the performance. Do you see that? Ladies and gentlemen, here is the verdict. As a result of your union with Christ, you are safe, secure, and permanently so. The verdict's in. Now, live out of the verdict. Don't perform for the verdict. The verdict is, you are crucified. The old man that you were in Adam is dead. You're set free from that. You're set free from the power of it. You are set free from the guilt of it. It is the verdict that leads to the performance. So our sanctification is rooted in our justification. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that one of the reasons that evangelicals in the South have so much difficulty when it comes to guilt and insecurity and lack of assurance, etc., etc., is because they have never understood justification by faith and the provisions thereof. Understanding that in justification by faith, you are joined and united with Christ. You are safe and permanently so. Now live out of that.
The verdict is not guilty. Performance grows out of that. We've got to quit. We'll come back to some of this next week. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you that the verdict has been delivered for so many of us who sit in this room. The verdict of forgiven, accepted, loved in Christ. Father, the gospel is something that tells us that we're far more wicked than we ever dreamed. But it also tells us that we are far more loved, we are far more forgiven, we are far more accepted than we ever dared hope. Out of that great and glorious news that we are more loved and more accepted and more forgiven than we ever dared hope, might that drive us to the celebration of new living in Christ. Thank you again, Father, for the word that we love. I pray that you will enable those who handle it to handle it with precision, including me. And where error has been spoken here tonight, that you will stop up the ears of those who've listened. But where truth has been spoken, might it be taken home to nourish the soul. Father, I close with with a thanksgiving for this wonderful nation of ours. She provides so wonderfully and is so such bounty to enjoy. Primarily the bounteous blessing of being free to pursue the beauties of Christ Jesus. Use our church to advance the cause of Jesus Christ in our time. Give us, Lord God, a burden for men who would drive an airplane into a building. Give us a burden even for them who are sons of disobedience with their foolish heart and mind is darkened. Give us a burden, O God, for the men who live around us, the men and women who live around us, who think that somehow they can perform well enough to twist your arm into a, a forgiven verdict. Oh God, what darkness fills this land. But we are free to go tell them that there is hope. Hope in Christ. Father, if you have brought anybody in here tonight who has not yet met this glorious Savior of ours, assure them that indeed their sin is greater than they thought. But your grace is greater than all our sin. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good night. And have a wonderful 11th.